We'll be in the book of 2 Corinthians once again, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4. Let me summarize where we are in the letter so far. Paul has described great hardship in his ministry there, and he'll continue for another chapter discussing the hardship uh, that he's experienced in ministering to the church in Corinth. But he also says it's a ministry of glory. It's not just hardship. It's hardship and glory. And by God's grace, they are wound together. And because of that, Jesus is shining forth from his own life. All of his ministry comes from God, and the trials and the hardships are also from God. So he says he doesn't lose heart. And we can take the same lesson. When we are weak, Christ is strong in us, and he renews us and sustains us. That's the message for today, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Be reading chapter 4 from verses 7 to 18. Would you please stand one last time for the reading of God's holy word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Please be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, we love your word. We thank you for your revelation to us. What a gift, what a blessing. Open our hearts to receive this word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul mentions one of the verses in Psalm 116. And that's an indication that we should read Psalm 116, which we already have done, and Discern some of the context of it. David, as you remember, is beset just like Paul was. He's beset on every side, it seems. He's tempted at times to think that God has forgotten him. Comes through in many of the Psalms. And yet, once he makes a statement like that, then he begins to preach to his own soul. And David is famous for doing this. Indeed, it's instructive for each one of us. 
to tell ourselves the truth about God. And this is what David does in Psalm 116. He tells his soul the truth of God's word. He's meditating on the truth of God and proclaiming God's goodness to himself. We see Paul. Paul knew the Psalms well, certainly probably had many of the Psalms memorized, and it flows into all of his writing. You remember Paul saying, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is true. Think on these things. He's telling us that we should concentrate on the things of God in our thoughts. David does the same thing. And in this also, because he has right thoughts about God, it inspires him to say right things about God to others. If you don't have right thoughts in your heart about God, about your life, then you're not going to be able to speak rightly to others about the Lord either. So in Psalm 116, David said, I believe and so I spoke. And Paul mentions that same exact thing, that same verse, because he believes God, so he speaks. David believed God, Paul believed God, we all should also believe God. All of his attributes, all of his goodness and power are for us for those who love him. And so we also should speak. So this life attitude of thanksgiving, of speaking the truth to ourselves and to others, is a work of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's daily work of renewal, what that looks like in the context of suffering, of ministry, of course, but also of the Christian life. So we'll look at four things. We'll see how Paul says this causes him to testify. The Spirit causes him to testify to the truth of Christ, how it causes him to remember the resurrection of Christ. This testimony of the truth and this resurrection of Christ also produces thanks and gratitude in his own life. That's the third point. And fourthly, it feeds our souls in Christ. The Holy Spirit feeds our souls. So first, the testimony to the truth of Christ. He says in verse 13, based on all of the things he's talked about, that we have this treasure in jars of clay, but we're not, we're not despairing the suffering that we have. Why? Well, it's based on the truth of God. He says in verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe. We also speak. Paul's not going to stop speaking about God. He's not going to stop preaching. He's not going to stop teaching because he has faith in God despite his circumstances that God is working. And look, he says, we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. He's saying, I have the same spirit of faith as David who wrote these words. David wrote, we have the same, or David wrote, I believed and so I spoke. As you know, it's very special in the New Testament when an Old Testament passage is referenced. It's a special thing. You should focus on all of the word, but when you see that, focus on that for a moment. Because what you see is one of the holy men of God, the apostles, exegeting the word of God in a helpful way. And that instructs us as well. And when we look at Psalm 116, we see all of the affliction of David's life and all the men who falsely accused him, all the men who attacked him and who despised him for whatever reason. He called upon God. And God comforted him in all of his sorrows. 
and reminded him that even the death of the saints is precious to God. How much more their troubles and the, and the difficulties they have in life. I think the key for me in Psalm 116 is that in the middle of David's trials, David believed God. He believed God and would not stop speaking to himself and to others of God's love and mercy and tender care. And if you've been through a trial recently, you know that this is not easy. This is not easy to to walk through a trial in the midst of your sorrow, your pain, your suffering, and to believe God is good, to believe God is just and right, to believe God is working a wonderful thing out of this difficulty, and to still speak of God and speak of His goodness and trust Him in the midst of affliction and sorrow. This is what David said he would do, and Paul says the same thing here. I've been crushed, I've been perplexed, I've been put down, but I'm still going to speak. I'm still going to preach. This is a church that sought to destroy him with their words, their lies, their slanders, and he continued to preach for both David and for Paul. This preaching and this proclamation of truth is, is it's kind of circular. It's both the reason for they're speaking, but it's also the evidence of their faith. It's the reason for their faith, and it's the evidence of their faith, the fact that they speak. And the same is true in your life, regardless of the situation. You see the evidence of your faith and the fact that you still trust God and will speak about God. But it's also your faith in God is the reason you're speaking to others and to yourself about the truth of God. Paul, remember, was afflicted and confused and persecuted. He even said that he was despairing of his life. Such was the the affliction that he felt in his soul. And yet, despite all the deadly attacks against him, the slander and everything else, he's going to speak because the ministry that he received is from God. And God is faithful. So I'd encourage each one of you, when you are suffering, do not be silent. Don't be silent about your suffering. You need fellowship. You need to be sharing with others. But also don't be silent about God's faithfulness. In the midst of suffering, do you realize what a great encouragement it is when someone comes alongside you to walk with you through that difficult time and they hear from your own suffering lips your faith and your trust in God? That blesses God and it blesses the body of Christ. Be in relationship with others. Speak. If you're like Paul and you're like David, your faith is going to cause you to speak, even in suffering. David even said, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praise to my God while I have my being. This psalm was in the midst of suffering that he said those words. So Paul says in the midst of suffering, while God is crushing his clay jar, if you will, that he remembered and believed in God and spoke to others. And that all this ministry is, uh, we see in the next point, is empowered by the Holy Spirit and the remembrance of the resurrection of Christ. This was the foundation. Remember the resurrection of Christ. This is the foundation for Paul's whole gospel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 14, Knowing that He who raised Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us into His presence. 
Paul's confidence, all that makes Paul who Paul is, his confidence, because of the Holy Spirit working in him, of course, but his confidence is in the confidence he has in the resurrection of Christ. This is the center of his gospel. The person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ centers Paul in all that he does and should be for all of us as well. When we hear that, word, that phrase, the person and the work of Christ, what you should be thinking of is the person of Christ. He was a person. He was a man. And yet he fully embodied the Father, all the attributes of the Father, his character. But then the work he was given to do, his life, his perfect life, his death, and then his resurrection, that's the person and the work of Christ. It's consistent that Paul mentions this throughout his letters. 1 Corinthians, again, this is a letter he wrote before this one, certainly. In chapter 15, he said, For as a man, as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. In the midst of hardships and all the difficulties Paul discussed, he's centered on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This should be your center as well. The center of your existence is giving glory to God because of the facts of His life, His death, and His resurrection. Because if you don't believe that, and if that really doesn't center all that you do, you might be living a life that's kind of practical atheism. You, you say you believe in your head, but it doesn't really affect your life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 again, if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is in vain, and our worship is in vain. It's all for nothing. Why are we even here if He hasn't risen from the dead? But indeed, He has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen. And right now is at the right hand of the Father. This is the great work of Paul's gospel preaching and of any preacher. To proclaim Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was slain and risen from the dead. And then Paul says that he's confident that because Christ had risen from the dead, he would also be risen from the dead someday, and all of the church with him. So he sees his suffering in the light of Christ's suffering. He sees his eventual death in the light of Christ's death, and also his eventual resurrection because of Christ's resurrection. He will be resurrected with Jesus, with all of God's people. And we should all think of this often. You shouldn't have families where you don't talk about death and you, you're scared to talk about death. And death is a horrible thing. Certainly death is painful. Nobody likes death. But in death, we know that we have a promise of life. Immediately, your soul goes to be with the Savior. And eventually, your body will be resurrected to life as well. What will this be like? We don't know exactly, but we should think of it often. It should inspire us as it inspired Paul. Many of you have loved ones buried right out there. Do you know they will rise again in faith in Christ? They will rise. And so will all of us who have faith in Christ. So we've been united to Christ by His Spirit in His life, in His death, in His suffering, but also in His resurrection. 
And this gives us hope. That was verse 14, is the hope that we have there that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. And do what? Present us into his presence. So, do you remember all of the times through Scripture where someone saw the throne of God, was in the presence of Almighty God? What happened? They're flat on their face. They're flat on their face and they think they're going to die. Often they're so terrified that an angel or uh, Jesus himself has to come and touch them and, and lift them up. And Paul's saying that because of Christ, we're going to be presented to the Father. We're going to be presented into his presence, into the presence of the triune God, like a bride. And we're not going to be terrified. And certainly we're not going to be comfortable, completely comfortable in the presence of a holy God. But the terror that you see all through the Old Testament is not going to be present. We're going to have the righteousness of Christ upon us. And we get to be with Jesus. No more tears. No more sorrow. I mean, Paul is writing out of intense suffering. And he's looking forward to this time when he can be with Jesus. I think of the book of Esther when I think of what this, uh, this, this picture might look like in, in some way. You remember, you could not come before the king at all upon risking of, of your own life. Your, your death was imminent if you came into the king's presence. Certainly he was a pagan king, but we still see some of the glory of kingship in what that was like. And even the queen herself, Esther, was terrified. She had the whole, the whole nation praying that she would not be killed for entering the king's presence. And yet when the king saw his bride approaching, he extended his scepter. He extended grace. This is similar to what what we can expect when we are finally resurrected and standing before the throne of God, an extension of the scepter of God, His grace in Christ. And this gives us great comfort. No matter how difficult life gets for Paul and for us, we're confident that we, even in death, this is precious in God's sight, and He will raise the dead. So with great confidence and great joy, we approach difficulties in life. Yes, I said joy. Not joy that we're suffering, but joy in the expected outcome of the suffering, which is our own sanctification. Sometimes when I feel really sorry for myself, I like to think of Job. I don't suffer like Job. Nobody suffered like Job that I know. He lost his whole family, except for his wife, who didn't seem to be helpful in that trial. She's probably suffering greatly as well. He lost everything. And he's afflicted physically with all kinds of horrible, painful afflictions. And he still had a hope of the resurrection. Did you know that? Job chapter 19, verse 25. It's precious. He says, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his physical suffering as well, I know that my Redeemer, capital R, I know that my Redeemer lives. 
and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, after he's dead, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job, probably one of the earliest writers of Bible text, Job had a confidence in the resurrection. So did Paul. So did David. So our ultimate hope in life isn't for extended times of comfort and ease and happiness. Those things are great. Success. Yeah, everybody loves that. That's not our hope, though. Our hope is in the resurrection. The resurrection of our bodies, just like our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. God is not a God of death. He's a God of life. God is not... The God of the dead, He's the God of the living. And He will raise us to life. To live in eternal peace. So the Spirit causes us to testify to God's faithfulness. Secondly, it causes us to trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our own resurrection. But it increases our thanksgiving as well. This is the third point we see in verse 15. He said, it is all for your sake, talking to the church, all that I've suffered has been for you. Why? So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul's drawing like a straight line from his suffering and the tribulations that the church is experiencing straight to grace being seen in our lives, straight to thanksgiving. As grace extends to more and more people, this produces thanksgiving, not just for Paul, but for everyone in the church. And this really is a wonderful summary, I believe, in Paul's attitude towards suffering. And it's instructive to our hearts when we experience difficulties to look at the outcome. And we'll look at other things later as well, but especially to look at the outcome. When we suffer, God extends grace to his people. It might not be immediately, it might not be right when we want it, but he is going to come and comfort you because he's a good shepherd. And when he does, this produces thanksgiving. You know your father, you know your shepherd better, you know the spirit, the comforter better, and this produces thanksgiving in your life. But with Paul, certainly, for him to say what he just said, that this This was all for good because it produces thanksgiving. This is a a very weighty thing to consider. And if you remember, this, this wasn't random. When Paul was called to ministry, you remember what God told Ananias? Ananias was scared to go talk to Paul. It's like, I don't want to go talk to this man. He's killing people. And God says, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This was God's design that Paul would suffer for the sake of his name. And tonight in the sermon, we're going to talk about suffering as Christians as well. It's never random and it's never without a purpose. But grace abounds during Paul's suffering. Grace abounds during yours. Paul said as he's broken and demolished and crushed and his flesh is canceled out by all of his hardship, that the Spirit of Christ is shining brightly through him. 
This is my prayer. If you want to pray for your pastor, this is my prayer. I don't pray for numbers. I don't pray for great success in preaching. I don't pray for those things. I pray for something more central, and that is that my flesh would be destroyed so that the grace of Christ flows out of me. Because if that's true, then everything else works out. God, destroy my pride. God, break my flesh. May the love and the passion of Jesus Christ flow out of my life. But it's not just a pastor who should pray that. It's all of us. You should should work on your heart and preach truth to yourself that actually you should desire the destruction of your own flesh. Your your own sinful flesh. your, Your sinful desires. You should desire those things to be gone so that you can have the love and the passion of Jesus Christ shining forth from your life. This should be all of our desires. This is food for our souls as well. As you lean into Jesus, grace flows forth and produces thanksgiving. And this is the last point. It's daily bread for your soul. You're renewed day by day. He says in verse 16, We don't lose hearts. Though our outer man is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. The Greek word for sow in verse 16, so we do not lose heart, is the same Greek word that's translated elsewhere, therefore. So it's a therefore. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, based on my heavenly calling to ministry, based on all the things that that God has done through the suffering that He's given me, based on the reality of the resurrection, based on my proclamation of the gospel, and the certainty of my own life with Christ, And because all of my present sufferings are used by God to advance His kingdom and show forth His grace, because of all that, therefore, we do not lose heart. Brother and sister, don't lose heart. Do not lose heart. And if you're you're in a time of peace and joy right now, take that lesson so that when you are struggling and you're facing a trial or temptation, you know the truth, and the truth is, don't lose heart. God has done so much to bring you to Himself. And there's a purpose in all of it. Don't lose heart. He says, Our outer man is wasting away. The outer man beset with weakness and brokenness. And you can imagine the church in Corinth, as we've talked about, this is a church that valued like good oratory and like movie star quality personalities showing up and giving these wonderful powerful sermons and Paul says over and over again I didn't come to you like that my preaching wasn't that good it wasn't that inspiring and we have physical description of Paul from about 150 AD it's extra biblical but we know that this is probably fairly accurate about how Paul looked so he wasn't an inspiring character in his appearance even He's described as a man small in stature. Well, I like that. Bald, bow-legged, stocky, and his eyebrows met in the middle with a large nose. Not a very inspiring description. And yet none of that matters. The outer man is wasting away, but Paul says the inner man is being renewed Day by day, the Spirit of God is renewing His inner man. Day by day. You remember in the wilderness, 
The Israelites were fed by manna flowing from heaven every day. They got just enough for each day. If they took too much, what happened? It was spoiled. Worms were in it. They got just enough. What's God doing? God's teaching them that every day He will provide. Every day. This brought them to a place of humility and trust. And so it is the Spirit of God works on each one of us every day to bring us to a place of trust and humility. As your outer man is crushed, your inner man, inner man is also being renewed. How do you renew your inner man? Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about this. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. This means devouring the Word of God. This means giving up your own desires for the desires of God. This means spending time in prayer before your God. Communing with God in His Word and in prayer and in fellowship. So our response to difficulty must be as Paul's. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember His goodness. Remember His love. Remember His life and death and resurrection and hope in Him. And then if you do that, everything else is put in the proper perspective. And this is a conclusion. Verse 17, he says, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Nothing matters compared to eternity with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And it puts our troubles into a new perspective. And Paul is calling his trouble light and momentary. Isn't that crazy? He said he was so despairing that he was going to die. Later in 2 Corinthians, he talks about all of his trouble. His shipwrecks, his beatings, his imprisonments. And he calls it all light momentary troubles. How can he say that? Compared to the glory that awaits us, it's light and momentary. That's what he's saying. It's light because the corresponding glory is so heavy and wonderful. It's momentary because the corresponding life is eternal. He's comparing the weight of an atom to the weight of the planet Mars. Or the time of a second to the time of 10,000 years. It's light. It's momentary compared to eternity with Christ. So when we fix our eyes on Jesus, our troubles take on a light and momentary quality. When we remember the resurrection of our Savior, who suffered real wrath, real pain, on a cross, takes on a light and momentary quality. And Paul sees his present difficulties preparing him for heaven. So we should also cultivate an eternal perspective in Christ. As we prepare to partake the Lord's Supper, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this, this encouraging word. Lord, all of us are beset on many sides. All of us have trouble. And often it seems overwhelming. And yet we know that compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, forever and ever in heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, it's light. It's momentary. Give us a heavenly perspective. As you bring distress to our, our outer man, I pray that our inner man would be renewed and shining forth the love of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
As we approach the Lord's table, uh, this table